This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Turn to Matthew 21. We'll have a word of prayer and take up where we left off this morning. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You and thank You again this evening for gathering us here. Lord, um, thank You for the opportunity to come together and study Your Word and worship corporately. Lord, we're just privileged um, to have this, uh, this time, to have a day like today in which we can, uh, that we can set aside for corporate worship. Lord, we're thankful that we have the freedom. And Father, we pray um, now as we look at the passage before us that You would grant understanding. I ask that You enable me to deliver the message You would have delivered and enable all of us to hear Your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, any questions before we go on on what, what we've been talking about? Okay. just want to be sure to ask that um, periodically and give you opportunity. <clears throat> All right. We're going to pick up in verse 18, Matthew 21, verse 18. I'm going to go ahead and, and read uh, down through 32. It's, it's there, I'll try to explain this as we go, and that's really what I'm going to do tonight. But um, all of this, what, what we talked about this morning, um, and all the way through the end of the chapter here, um, is, is, is tied together with a common theme. I'm going to try to try to bring that out, but just just um, I think it's easy to miss and just a, just a surface reading. So so uh, just just be cognizant of that as we even read through here that there are con- there are connections. Verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up, and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, 
If we say from heaven, He will say to us, Why then did you not believe Him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And He said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Now, as I said, I want to stop here for tonight, but um, the following verses as well are, are relevant. I may, I may uh, allude to them while we're talking here, but Lord willing, we'll come back and, and deal with them separately uh, next Sunday morning. Um, but let me, let me start with a question here, and I'll kind of get your help, okay? <laughs> um, verse 18 through... What is it, 18 and 19? You can go on through the rest of that account. But we're talking about the, the fig tree here. It almost seems like a strange event, doesn't it, on the surface? It's almost like, um, almost like changing water into wine. It almost, it almost leaves you kind of scratching your head and wondering, now why did Jesus do that? Um, we know that he's, you know, He wasn't out doing tricks. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't doing things for show. There's, there's purpose. I think this is always good to stress and remember. There's, there's purpose behind everything that God does. Now, we know that ultimately God's purpose is, or we should know, ultimately God's purpose is to glorify Himself. God's ultimate goal, John Piper wrote in his book, Desiring God, and I think rightly so, I think he nailed it. God's ultimate goal in all that He does is to glorify Himself. A little bit of a paraphrase, but that's essentially what he said. God's ultimate goal in all that he does is to glorify himself. But, you know, then under that, God is working out a plan to bring that about, right? To, to glorify himself. So everything he does has purpose behind it, and it's part of bringing about that plan to ultimately glorify himself. All right, so let me go back to the question here. Why did Jesus, here, here is Jesus traveling with the disciples, comes upon a fig tree and uh, finds nothing on it. And he curses the fig tree. May, may no fruit, that's verse 19, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the tree withered at once. It, it, it died, I'm sure, instantly. Um, we know from Mark's account, that there's actually a, a day before they notice it. A day passes. If you read Mark's account, you'll see that. But <clears throat> Matthew just kind of lumps it all together here. But 
it, it, it withers at Jesus' words. Why did Jesus do that? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Go ahead, Sheila. <laughs> I don't think you say it any better than that. I think I think you nailed it right there. Um, yeah, I don't think you say it any better than that. It was created, you said, to bear fruit. And it wasn't doing what it was created to do. And so he cursed it. He 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 made it die. I mean, you know, he said, "No, no fruit shall ever come from you again." Um, what does the fig tree generally represent in Scripture? Hmm? Israel. The nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Now, there's application for us here too. But I do think what Jesus is doing here directly uh, is in direct reference to um, the nation of Israel. And, like I say, application for anybody who, as Sheila just pointed out, doesn't do what they're created to do. And what are we created to do? Well, a fig tree is created to produce fruit, and that fruit is... Well, it's not a hard one. Come on. It's not fig newtons. It's figs. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? I'd plant a fig newton tree. Um, especially strawberry fig newtons. But anyway... It's <laughs> it's supposed to make fruit. Now, we're created to produce fruit. Fruit of a different kind, though. We don't produce figs. What do we do? We, we essentially talked about it this morning. We're, we're created to worship God, to glorify God. God's ultimate goal in all that He does is to glorify Himself. What should be man's ultimate goal? To glorify God. Man's goal, and all that he does, I mean, it should be, and all that he does is to glorify God. That's what we're created for. That's what He put us here for. He put us here to image Him. So little, little reflections of His glory. Remember what, what He told Adam and Eve? He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and He gave them a command. What was the command He gave Adam and Eve? They'd like. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So he gave them a command not only to tend the garden and subdue the earth, that is, you know, uh, rule over it and manage it, which, and that's still in effect, by the way. It's what we're here for. Um, we're, we're here to, we're here to, to, uh, uh, subdue the earth, you know, use it uh, to the glory of God for um, the purposes that we need it. And he also gave them a command, as Leslie just said, to fill it. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? He, he starts with two people. That's interesting in itself because he could have created ten million if he wanted to. But he didn't. He just started with two. One man, one woman. And he, and he gives them this command, fill the earth, be fruitful Notice the word. <laughs> he uses that analogy. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Now, why do you suppose God wanted Adam and Eve to multiply and fill up the earth? Everybody but Leslie. Why do you suppose that? (laughs) Amen. Because we bear His image. So the idea is to fill the earth with the glory of God. And incidentally, there are a couple of Old Testament passages passages promising that that day's coming when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Um, but yeah, that's the command He gives them. He, he created them in His own image. Male and female, he, he created them. He made them in His own image and likeness and commanded them, fill the earth so that you've got little images of God, little reflections of God's glory covering the face of the earth. Everything God does is for His own glory. He created man ultimately to glorify Himself. He created us in His own image so that we reflect His glory and so that the earth is filled with His glory, little reflections of His glory. Now, we're created to glorify God. We've we've made that point. So like, like the fig tree, we're created for a reason, created... Created to bear fruit. In the fig tree's case, um, the fruit is to produce figs. In our case, it's to live for the glory of God. It's to exist for the glory of God. To display, let's think of it this way, when we talk about being made in His image and glorifying Him, it is to display the character of God. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's how we produce fruit. Think about that. Our purpose in being here is to put on display the character of God. That's why Paul says, mimic God. Mimic God. It's amazing, isn't it? Even in our fallen state, and I didn't even cover that part. You know, man fell, Adam and Eve sinned, man falls. The image is marred, but it's still there. We, are, we still exist in the image of God. It's, I mean, it's almost unrecognizable. You would, I, you would tell a big difference. I, if, if, if we could see Adam and Eve in their original state and compare them to us, it would be a big difference. But His image is not totally gone. From anybody. I remember George Bush saying one time about Osama bin Laden that he does not have a soul. Well, I mean, I understand, uh, I think, you know, uh, why he would not think favorably of Osama bin Laden and who does uh, on this side of the world, but he had a soul. He's created in the image of God. The image is severely marred. By the way, not just in his case, in ours too. So that the image of God, the reflection of God's glory is almost unrecognizable. But it's there and the command remains, glorify the Lord. So that's why Paul says... To us, Christians, even, even in our fallen state, though now we are redeemed, 
which does make a huge difference, does it not? Now we are redeemed, Paul says to Christians, mimic God. And Jesus calls us Himself to be holy. We're to be holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. That's what we're put here to do. That's what we're created to do. Now, I said the fig tree generally represents uh, Israel in, in, uh, in the Scripture. And, and I do think that's the specific thing that Jesus has in, mind's, in, in His mind here. And that's, in other words, he, he is pronouncing a judgment here on the nation of Israel. And what you're seeing pictured in this event with the fig tree is Israel missing the day of their visitation. Now think about that for a moment. King of glory, we were talking about this morning, the eternal Word of God, takes on flesh. And He comes to His own, John says. And if you know the Old Testament story, you know that God chose Israel out from among the nations and set them apart and said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And John says in John 1, He came unto His own, and His own, that is the nation of Israel, did not know Him. And they weren't producing the fruit. When Jesus comes on the scene... He finds Israel, the fig tree, not producing the fruit that they were created to produce. In fact, if you read this account um, that we've been looking at today here in Matthew 21, and it's slipping my mind now if it's the Mark account or the Luke account, uh, but we, we, we have... Jesus weeping over Jerusalem for that reason. Let me see if I can... Let me me check the Mark account real quick. If it's not there, it's in Luke. Um, Yeah, it must be Luke. And this is during His triumph triumphant entry when he's riding the donkey coming in to Jerusalem. Yes, Luke 19. Luke 19.41. And when he drew near... Keep in mind, this is all the same event. This is just from a different Gospel writer. And here here Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey in in Luke 19.41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now, now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Tear and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, there, there you have what the fig tree pictures. Jesus comes to His own. He comes to the nation of Israel and He finds them not bearing fruit. And so He pronounces judgment 
to the fig tree, He says, May no fruit ever come from you again. To Jerusalem, as He weeps over them, He says, Would that you had known the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from you. That's judgment. That's judgment. You, you refuse to repent. Now, these things are hidden from you. You will not bear fruit. Now, um, Paul does talk in Romans 11 of a, of a, of a restoration and a time, once again, when, uh, or a time when, as using Paul's words, he says all Israel will be saved. But, at this point, Jesus is pronouncing judgment and even explicitly describes this being surrounded by armies and the city being laid flat. Uh, that took place in 70 A.D. under the Roman general Titus. And Israel was destroyed and gone for uh, 2,000 years till 1948 when it was reestablished as a nation. Now, let's go back to Matthew 21. The, the disciples are amazed. There's, there's, some, there's some important things on prayer here that I'm just going to, uh, I mean, forgive me, but I'm just going <laughs> to just kind of barely touch on these things and mention them because what I'm really focusing in on here is Jesus' authority, His kingship like we talked about this morning, and their refusal to submit to his kingship. I mean, there's the on the Friday night thing. We've been he's been going through a little deal called two two ways to live. And this is the issue. There's two ways to live. We we can rule our own lives. We can be our own king, or we can submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is what they're refusing to do. In fact, um, in the parable of the tenants that Jesus relates later, that's how He describes it. Uh, they, they basically say, we will not have this man reign over us. In the parable. But it's a, it's a picture, again, of people refusing to have Him reign over them. Alright, so verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Faith in in just faith? Faith in faith? Or, or faith in what? Faith in Christ, right? Faith in Jesus. The reason I'm pointing that out, and there are other places that make it more clear explicitly. One is John 14, uh, I think it's verse 15. Um, and this is what I was talking about. I'm just going to briefly mention. Um, there, there are qualifiers here. Um, John 14, 12 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, 
will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these He will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The key phrase there is, in my name. Which is not here in Matthew, but, you know, let's, let's interpret Matthew in light of that passage in uh, John 14. Also, um, in light of James 4, where James says, if you ask, Anything without faith, if you ask anything amiss, um, forget it, right? It requires faith. It requires faith in Jesus. Um, also, 1 John 5.14, let me read that one. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We ask anything according to His will. That, that I would say, and this would take some explanation. I'm just going to give it to you here, but I would say that is that is synonymous with "in my name." That's two ways of saying the same thing. When Jesus said "ask in my name," He wasn't meaning put a verbal tag on the end of your prayer in Jesus' name, or put a verbal tag when you baptize somebody. I baptize you in Jesus' name. That's not what He meant. He meant do it. Consistent with His will, under the auspices of Him, His authority. So the, what I'm what I'm I'm saying this. When Jesus says, "You ask whatever you want in prayer," He means according to His will. I think from other passages that's clear. So He's not just saying, um, "Hey, just ask whatever you lust for, and it'll be given to you if you believe it hard enough." <laughs> It's probably impossible to do anyway, but, but even if you do believe it hard enough, it's not going to happen. Um, he's talking about a believer acting consistent with the will of God. But now, here's, here's the main point I want to make, is that that is the case because He has all authority. So we have to operate under His authority. Our, our, our goal, our way of Producing fruit is to live according to the will of God. So our life has to be ordered by His will. What we have before us right here. The revealed will of God. And in the inner working of His Spirit. And it's never the one without the other. It's always the two. So when somebody tells you, I don't really need to read the Bible because the Holy Spirit guides me. Um, no. <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit will guide you through the Bible. I mean, you know, you read the Bible and then the Holy Spirit opens it up to you and gives you understanding. Or, you know, you, you can say, I don't need the Holy Spirit, I'll just read the Bible. No, you need the Holy Spirit or, you, or you'll never properly understand the Bible. It's always the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word. And, and, to produce fruit, in order to be fruitful in this life, in fact, I think really this is the fruit, it is that we live in willful submission to Him. We, we, like we talked about this morning, we love Him. We rejoice in Him. We praise Him. It is our joy. It is our, it is our um, 
desire to do His will. And so then, whatever we ask, we receive. Now, I do think, when he talks about moving mountains, and we've already seen this twice. Uh, there was an earlier reference, I believe it was in Matthew 17. I do think he's using hyperbole there. Uh, in fact, um, you know, some commentators you'll read uh, point out that this, that was a popular expression of the day, uh, a way of describing an impossibility. So, so essentially, what, in other words, it's a way of saying you can do the impossible. You know, <clears throat> 2,000 years from now, when people pick up something that we've written, you know, and a, a, a conversation, people are talking about the weather, and somebody wrote somebody a note and said, man, it's raining cats and dogs down here, or sent somebody an email. Um, that's an idiom. You know, we don't, we don't literally mean it's raining cats and dogs. Um, but 2,000 years from now, somebody who's not familiar with our idioms may read that and think, what in the world was going on? That was a strange time. You know, it was raining. <laughs> so I think when he talks about moving mountains, he's using hyperbole to describe, to say what he has said in other places. With God, nothing shall be impossible. If you... If you live according to the will of God, God's will will be done. There will be no mountain, so to speak, that can stop you from doing God's will. It will be flattened or removed. That was said of John the Baptist, by the way, in, in the prophecy in Isaiah. He'll, 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 the way will be straight before him and he'll you know, make the hills flat and so forth. He's going to accomplish God's will. Now, Verse 23, and I know I've got to move quickly here. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. Uh, notice that, by the way, because he is constantly teaching, and that is so important. It's important for us as well. As he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, that's why I'm saying this, this is the thing that's tying all this together. Who Jesus is. Remember when he, when he rides into Jerusalem and they're saying, who is this man? And even there, Matthew gives us examples of him healing and all the people praising. Who is this man? And now the now this, this chief priests and the elders, they've, you know, they're just going to ask him. They've had enough. By what authority? They, they saw him clean the temple for the second time, you know, as I mentioned this morning, the second time during his ministry. And, and they're thinking, okay, um, who does he think he is? By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. I will also ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Now, he's, he's, he gave them the answer. He gave them a multiple choice there. It's A or B. <laughs> That's pretty, makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? I mean, you, at least you got a, even if you don't know, you got a 50-50 shot. You know, take a stab. I've had to do that on tests, you know, lots of times. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, He will say to, it, say to us, Why then did you not believe Him? But if we say from man, 
we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, well, we do not know. It was, the choice was A and B, and they took C. We don't know. They, don't, they just left them both blank. We don't know. You know why? Because they are unwilling to submit to His authority. They, they know the answer. Jesus is answering their question. Their question was, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? The answer is God. The answer is built into His question about John. So He said, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it from man? Was, was it of God or was it of man? Of course, the correct answer is it's, it's of God. And that would also answer their question about Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? God's. And, and actually, he's doing it acting in his own authority as well, but he's God. And in everything that Jesus did, he said he came to do the Father's will, to do what was pleasing to the Father. He was perfectly submitted to the Father, and he's calling for us to be in, in submission to him. And this is what they refuse to do, and he knows it. And, and he's, this is how he's bringing it to the surface. Just like he did the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Lord Jesus says, Here, here's what you do. Go sell everything that you have and give all the money to the poor and come and follow me. He knows where that man's problem is. And he zeroes in on it. And he knows what their problem is. And he zeroes in on it. They refuse to submit to him. And if they admit that John was a prophet, what was John prophesying? The coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. John, John pointed at him, said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." So, if they admit that, if they admit that John was a prophet, that he was, that his baptism was of God, then they would also be admitting that Jesus is the Christ and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and they'll have none of that. And they know they can't speak against John because they fear the people. And by the way, that's that's all you know, these are supposed to be the religious leaders, and that's always a detriment to religious leadership when they fear the people more than they fear God. And they feared the people. Saul had that problem, first king of Israel. He feared the people more than he feared God. And he was always trying to please the people. And they feared the people, so they knew they couldn't... They would like to kind of slap Jesus in the face and say, well, it's of man. The whole thing was of man. John's baptism was of man. Your, your whole ministry is of man. And that's why we're here, to shut this thing down. It's not of God. But they feared the people. They, they know that most of the people thought of John as a prophet. And, as we read earlier today, uh, they thought of Jesus as a prophet. That's back in verse 10 or 11. The crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth. So they, they said, we don't know. And I've always loved this. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You're not going to answer me, I'm not going to answer you. Of course, <clears throat> he's already made it plain. He's been making it plain all along whose authority he's acting under. 
And then he says this. And remember, this is the, my Bible has a, a, a heading here, and, it, it, and then you got the paragraph separation. It makes it all look so separate, the way it's laid out. <clears throat> but it's not. This is the same conversation. He, just, he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? And he gives them a parable. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, that is the first son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. It's a picture of repentance there. Translated that way in King James, he, they, he repented. Verse 30, And he went to the other son and said the same. That is, he told him the same thing. Go and work in the field today. And he answered, I go, sir. But did not go. So, the first guy says, I'm not going. He just, you know, he was in his father's face about it. I'm not going. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And then he repented, changed his mind, and he went. The second son said, oh, man, he had good manners. And he said, I go, sir. But he didn't go. He disobeyed his father. And so Jesus asked the question in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? That's not hard to figure out, is it? Which of the two did the will of his father? I used to work with a guy. He was quite, quite a bit younger than me. And uh, anyway, I noticed uh, he had been brought up to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. And he had that like second nature and used it all the time. Found it so polite. That guy was one of the most disrespectful people, young men, that I've worked around. Just real prideful, very disrespectful to people older. But in a conversation, you know, when they're talking to him, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. This guy says, oh, I go, Father, and he doesn't go. So Jesus says, which one does the will of his Father? They said the first, which is correct. Although he said he wasn't going, he repented and he went. And Jesus says in verse 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now you gotta, you gotta kind of picture the scene here. Here are the here are the elders, the chief priests. These are the religious elite, highly esteemed by the people. And Jesus, in the temple, tells them, the chief priests and the elders, Tax collectors who were despised by the people and thought of as lowlifes. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you. What is he saying? In the little parable that he gives, the, the first son who says, I'm not going, but then he repents and he goes, 
there you have a picture of tax collectors and prostitutes who come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Like Matthew. Matthew was one. The one who's writing this down for us. The one who's recording this for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knows about this because he was one. He was a lowlife. He was sitting at the tax booth taking advantage of the people when Jesus came by and said, follow me. And he got up and walked away from all that and followed Jesus. And the rich young ruler, who was probably a, a, a synagogue ruler, that's probably what is meant by that term ruler, was an upright, moral person, successful, probably highly esteemed. And Jesus told him, sell everything and follow me. And he went away. Went away grieved because he had great possessions. He, he couldn't give them up for Jesus. So there's a picture in this little parable in the first son of the tax collectors and prostitutes. And the second, <coughs> second son, the one who said, oh, I go, sir. The one who seemed to be so agreeable. There's a picture in him of the religious leaders of Jesus' day and of all the Jews who rejected Christ. They were supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be God's children. They were giving the lip service. They were saying, I go, sir. We, we do God's will. We're all about God. We're the chief priests. We're the elders. We're the Jews. We're the descendants of Abraham. We're the ones that God gave His Word to through Moses. But they're not going. They're not doing God's will. They're not producing fruit. Jesus points that out in verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Not, not just religiosity. I'm not against the word religion, by the way. Some people think that's a bad word. <laughs> religion is not a bad word. Religion is not a bad thing. Religion is a good thing. If you're talking about true religion. But man-made religion, even if it uses the name of Christ, man-made religion will send you straight to hell. It's not religion that saves. It's Christ that saves. So the religion that has Jesus at the center is good. Anything outside of that, even if it uses the name of Jesus, is bad. Only Jesus saves. So, John came to you in the way of righteousness. That's, he was preaching Jesus. And you did not believe Him. But tax collectors and prostitutes believed Him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds or repent. And believe Him. This is the state that he, that he finds them in. They were created 
to glorify God, created to produce fruit. But they refuse to relinquish the crown. We will not have this man reign over us. Who does he think he is? What authority does he do these things? wasn't under their authority. See, that was the whole problem. They didn't want to be in submission to Him. They wanted Him to be in submission to them. And we're going to see in this parable next week, Lord willing, they wanted what was rightfully His. And that is the case, brothers and sisters, with everybody who will not submit to the Lordship of Christ. You say, well, man, I wouldn't go that far. I know some good people that are lost and they're nice people. They may be in one sense, you know, humanly speaking. But if they won't submit to the Lordship of Christ, they're trying to steal His crown. They're trying to take His inheritance. They're refusing to produce the fruit that He created them to produce. It's all about living for the glory of self rather than living for the glory of God. God created us in His image for His glory. Our ultimate goal should be to glorify Him in all that we do. And that starts and ends with being in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrendering to Him, loving Him, following Him, honoring Him, obeying Him, rejoicing in Him, enjoying Him. And as we're about to do, giving thanks to Him. He's the King of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray. Lord, You you know our hearts. And Lord, if we know anything about our own hearts, we, we know there's not a person in this room that's walking in total submission to You. We all do things wrong. It's, it's, it's true. I, I think of every believer that we, we would certainly say... Uh, we. We want to do God's will. We want to please You. That's our heart. That's the heart that You've given us. That's the desire that You've graciously put within us. And yet, we find ourselves in circumstances all the time in which we choose something over You. So we pray for grace upon grace, Lord. Fill us with Your Spirit. Grant us discernment and enable us, Lord, to grow in grace. And we we thank You that, that You do that. May 
May it truly be our, our ultimate goal to live for Your glory and honor. May we truly desire to love You more and for You to love through us more in our relationships with other people. May we truly be about Your business, about Your will, bear fruit to the glory of Your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.